Well, friends, let's, I want to encourage you to keep your, your Bible open if you have one. And let me pray before we get into the scriptures together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are your people, bought at the price of Christ's own blood. We thank you that we can enjoy this peace with you now. And as we reflect upon your scriptures, may we see um, your love displayed, even though this passage is so difficult to see that in. And we do pray that as we reflect upon your scriptures, you may energize us for a life of mission, a life of adoring you, a life of enjoying you day by day. Amen. Well, yet one day, a young boy made a homemade boat. And he decided to take his homemade boat to the edge of a river. After placing it on the side of the river, he watched the boat smoothly sail on the water. But while enjoying his boat in the warm sunshine, a strong current caught the boat and pushed it downstream. Running along the sandy shores at top speed, his new boat slipped out of sight. Oh no! Throughout the rest of the day, the boy searched for his boat. Having no luck, he returned home at dusk. After a few days while returning home from the school, his school, the boy spotted a familiar object in a store window. What was it? It was his homemade boat. The boy then hurried to the store manager. He said, sir, that's my boat in the window. I made it. However, the manager replied, sorry, son, but someone else brought it in this morning. If you want it, you have to buy it for $1. The young boy then ran home and counted all his money. He discovered that he had exactly what he needed, $1. And so he rushed back to the store, grasping hold of the boat from the shop window. He bought it. And then he said this to the boat, Now you are twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. First I made you, and now I bought you. The boy redeemed his boat. Redemption means to purchase something at a cost. Redemption means to pay a price to free something from its bondage. In this story, the boy's boat was in bondage to the store manager. To free the boat from the hands of the manager, he had to pay twice, a price, sorry, $1. Likewise, a major theme in the Bible is redemption. Even though God made us, like the boy who made the boat, we have all drifted away from God's presence and become slaves to sin. And the Bible speaks about God being the redeeming God. Sin is a cruel store manager that imprisons us, causing us to rot and perish. Yet God, in his relentless love, pursues us. Nonetheless, even though we're decaying in sin, awaiting death, God has a plan. Redemption. God has a plan. Redemption. And today, before we look at Hosea 9, I actually want to look at God's redemption act in Israel's history in Exodus. 
Exodus could, be another, could also be the book of redemption. I want to look at Exodus and what the Israelites were called to do in response to the Exodus before I look at Hosea 9. Because as we'll see in Hosea 9, Israel's redemption is going to be reversed. But there's hope, as we'll see, because God has a plan for this rebellious nation. My prayer is that you will see that the love of God, the Redeemer, is so great. And as you see the greatness of God as Redeemer, my prayer, my prayer is that you will enjoy, lavish his redeeming qualities. Okay, let's look at Israel's past now. We need to understand the background before we explore Hosea 9. We must recount the story of Israel's redemption from their slavery in Egypt. And the story begins in Exodus, as I mentioned. After God's people cry out for liberation, we see that God will redeem Israel. God said this, I have come down to rescue Israel, the Israelites from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. However, the redemption would be costly. Since Pharaoh's heart was hardened, he would not let Israel go. God then sent 10 plagues upon Egypt to help Pharaoh release these Israelites. And the final plague was devastating. God sent the destroyer to end the lives of every firstborn creature in the land. God's people were, however, protected. Before the destroyer would sweep through Egypt, a price needed to be paid. God's people needed to take a lamb or a young goat without defect. Slaughter the creature at twilight. Wipe its blood on their door frames. And then eat the roasted animal with unleavened bread. If God's people followed these instructions, the blood would protect the Israelites from the final plague, death. And feeling the weight of the final plague, Pharaoh finally said, Up, leave, my people, you and you, you, you Israelites, go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds, and you have heard me say this. Go, get out of here, Pharaoh said to the Israelites. Pharaoh released the Israelites. God redeemed Israel from the chains of Pharaoh. And to remember their redemption, Moses ordered the people to stop each week for Sabbath rest. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verses 14 to 15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. And he also says there, keep it holy. As the Israelites stopped from their labors, the Sabbath event formed their identity as the redeemed. As they worshiped God with heartfelt passion, their hearts were aligned with God. As they dwelled upon their labors and looked at them and enjoyed them, they remembered that all they possessed was a gift from God. As they feasted into the night, 
they recounted God's sweet work of redemption. And while this is context for Hosea 9 today, I I just want to stop right now because there's a little application here for us today. We see a connection between Israel's feasts and the Lord's Supper. At the twilight of his crucifixion, Jesus shared the Passover meal with his disciples. But during this meal, Jesus progressed its meaning. He made this radical claim. He said, as he broke the unleavened bread, he said, this is my body. He then gave his disciples wine and said, this is my blood. Jesus said, in effect, I am the Passover lamb. One without defect. If you want to live, feed on me. My body and blood will redeem you from the deadliest plague, sin and death. That is why Jesus said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Christ's work on the cross redeems us from the chains of sin and the horrors of death. And now we're commanded to recount, like Israel, the sweet work of redemption in Christ. But how? Well, the apostles set aside the Lord's day to help us recount the work of Christ, to enjoy his presence and to grow in our identity. You see that in Acts 20 verse 7, if you want to look it up. And my prayer is that we will also devote ourselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer each Lord's Day, which is Sunday, the day of resurrection. My prayer is that we will not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. My prayer is that the Spirit will strip us of our idols so that this day of worship is reclaimed for the Lord and we never lose sight of who we are in Christ Jesus. And you'll see why I'm making that point in a moment. My prayer is that we'll find this rhythm of weekly worship, fellowship, a pure joy that motivates us for a life of kingdom service, proclaiming his, the gospel of Christ to the whole world. My prayer is that we'll not lose sight of our identity as a redeemed family, as brothers and sisters of Christ, who are made one in Christ Jesus. And by committing ourselves to the worship of Christ each Lord's Day, I'm optimistic that our church will continue to make disciples who will recount the sweet work of redemption every day. Okay, so now with this background and foreground in view, we now zoom into Hosea 9. I want to encourage you to open up Hosea 9. Here we see the aftermath of a nation that has failed to remember, recount God's work of redemption. And as you're reading through this, you might want to apply it to yourself because if we fail to recount Christ, this could be us. Here we see the aftermath of a nation that failed to recount the work of redemption. Hosea chapter 8, verse 14, I would like to look at first. Hosea chapter 8. Verse 14, to give us some more context. Israel has forgotten their maker and built palaces. Judah has fortified many towns, but I'll send fire on their cities that will consume their fortresses. So we, hear some, we see something happening 
Redemption is being reversed because Israel has forgotten their identity. And then look at verse 7 in chapter 9. The days of punishment are coming. The days of reckoning are at hand. Let Israel know this. The Israelites will lose their rituals, their land, their identity, the Lord's presence. The truth is that by forgetting God, Israel has also forgotten his commandments. If they remembered the gracious command to observe the Sabbath, for example, and keep it holy, they would have remembered the terrible oppression in the past. The whips, the poverty, their children being murdered, the change that, the change that crushed them and their spirits. If Israel remembered God's powerful redemption act in the past, they would never have called out to Egypt for help like a senseless dove, as we saw last week. But since the nation has forgotten God, his life-giving law, his work of redemption, his presence, they were now in danger zone. Hosea shows us that judgment is fast approaching. Could someone grab Evelyn? She's touching buttons. Israel's wine will fail them, verse 2. The people eat unclean food in Assyria, verse 3. Their sacrifices will not please the Lord, and eating their sacrifices will make them unclean, verse 4. Their treasures of silver will be taken, and thorns will overrun their tents, verse 6. And here's a big one. Egypt will gather Israel, and Memphis, which is a city of burials in Egypt, will bury them. God will cause Israel to return to Egypt, the place in which redeemed them. They were redeemed from, sorry. The nation will be enslaved once again. And so we see here a complete reversal of salvation history because Israel had forgotten who they are. Their lack of faith, their lack of understanding would lead them into just a great oppression. But guess what, guys? The most devastating judgment is found in verse 15. Because of their sinful deeds, I will drive them out of my house. I will no longer love them. All their leaders are rebellious. God is basically spitting Israel out of his presence. God is basically saying, Israel, you're unholy. You don't love me. Because you don't love me, I can no longer, in good conscience, call you my children, my very own, my bride. You can no longer enjoy my presence because you don't know me. The Israelites lost sight of who they are as the redeemed people of God. The sweet redemption of Israel will be reversed. Israel's inability to recount the redeeming work of God is also a warning for us today. For like the people of Israel who polluted the house of God, the house of God today can also be damaged by 
those who call themselves disciples of Jesus. But this house is not a literal temple. This house is the body of Christ. Me and you, us children of God. And we have the great capacity as someone who is known as a disciple of Jesus or calls ourselves a disciple of Jesus to really hurt the people of God. And we see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Paul says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's house and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's house, God will destroy that person. For God's house is sacred and you together are that house. House can also be translated temple. And so to guard the house of God today, to ensure that it remains beautiful and holy in God's sight, we must never lose sight of who we are, unlike Israel. We must never lose sight of who we are. Our identity is in Christ. And so if you want to know what a Christian is, a Christian is someone who is in Christ. They have their union in Christ. Who they are is in Christ. That's how the Bible, the New Testament, describes a Christian primarily. Not so much a disciple or, or a follower or um, one of the other names. The primary way that the apostles describe our identity is in Christ. That's who we are. And because we're in Christ, God sees us as our children. But we can easily lose sight of that identity as being in Christ. And when we forget that we're people redeemed by the blood of Jesus, guess what happens? We start to wander away. The dominant beliefs of our culture begin to pollute our identity. We can easily be deformed into a secular Christian hodgepodge church. An example would be radical individualism. Our secular world, which is our non-Christian world, prizes the, the individual. Um, we, are radically, we, are, we are a society of radical individuals. You'll notice that it's all about me, me, me. What happens when that becomes mishmashed with the church? Well, we come to church saying, what can I get out of this experience? We come as consumers rather than servants. And when we come as consumers, we can actually start to hurt our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus. We might come, oh, I love that church. They have awesome music. I love that church because their preaching is awesome. I love that church because they celebrate the Eucharist so great. That's my church. That's not the way in which we should come to church. And if we start to come to church as a consumer rather than a servant, we can actually lose who we are as a family of God. And I think Paul would have said that those exact same words, you're destroying the church to us today in our radical individualistic culture. We can easily be deformed into a secular Christian hodgepodge church. And the Bible teaches us that Christ does not like the taste of hodgepodge. Revelation chapter 3 verses 15 and 16 has a similar kind of judgment to Hosea 9. Jesus Christ is talking to the church of La Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, 
that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow, pretty intense, isn't it? Nothing is more fearful than to get what we deserve from God. Therefore, we must turn to Christ with our whole life and pursue that identity of being people of God in Christ Jesus. When you walk outside the church, into your workplaces, into your school communities, do people say, wow, that is someone who is walking in Christ Jesus? Or do you just look like the rest of them, the rest of our world? That's a challenge for us, isn't it? Do we walk as people who are in Christ Jesus? It's a good challenge. And that's a challenge that Jesus desires for us to have. And so if we desire to please God, we must grow in our sacred identity as a family of God who is in Christ Jesus. And now with Israel's judgment in view, we must remember that Hosea 9 is not the end of the story. It's not the end of the story. God is a God of relentless love. He loves us so much. There is hope. Redemption will be renewed. 700 years after Hosea, the nation of Israel boiled down to one disciple of God. Who is it? Jesus. Who is it, guys? Jesus Christ. This is the last faithful disciple of God. And after the Lord's Supper, all his disciples betrayed him, denied him, and fled in fear. Jesus was the only law-abiding, God-loving disciple left who held on to the sweet promises of God. And in Jesus, the reversal of God's redemption reaches its pinnacle moment. All the curses against our idol worship, human wickedness, and betrayal of God are poured out on him. The ultimate sacrificial lamb. But while Jesus experienced the depth of human oppression, hatred, the pain on the cross, the torturous acts was known, this torturous day was known as Good Friday. For through this horrible event, crucifixion, a miracle happened. And Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 to 14 tells us a bit more about this miracle. I'm going to read it. Paul says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is any, everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessings given to Abraham might come to, to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. This is good news. Worth celebrating. Through grace, by faith, in Christ, we can experience the redemption of God, his forgiveness. We can be made people who are in Christ Jesus. And when God looks at us, he says, there's my son I love. Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in who we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. 
You're forgiven in Christ. All your sins have been laid on Christ. And through Christ, we can receive salvation. He's our super saviour. And so if this is good news for you, the best response is doxology, which means praise and worship of God. Like the psalmist, we should proclaim, my lips will shout for joy when I sing praises to you. My soul also, which you have redeemed. Psalm 111 verse 9 says, He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. That is the name of God. But please know this. This worship is not just limited to singing. This worship is not limited to singing. We can still praise God with our bodies. You can dance if you want. You can hit the drums. You can string the guitars. You can, sing. You can praise God with instruments, with your bodies. If, you, if you're the type of person who likes to raise their hands, go for that if you want. But the primary way in which we worship God is through our holy lives. The primary way in which we worship God is with our holy lives. Paul says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And as we continue to praise God, be assured, your enjoyment of your redemption will only increase in sweetness. And that's why I have such a high view of gathering as God's people. Because when I see people wander away from the family of God, I begin to see them enjoying um, sweetness in other places to the point where they forget their identity. And so I want to say this point again. Your enjoyment of your redemption will only increase in sweetness when you desire to live a life praising the God of redemption. And so may you constantly have your eyes, your mind, your whole bodies fixed on your redeeming God. And I assure you, your life will transform, change. So keep your mind, your eyes, your whole bodies fixed on the God of redemption. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you are the God of redemption. We thank you for the history of redemption that you saved your people from Egypt, their captivity by the hands of Pharaoh. But even though you saved them, Lord, they forgot who you are. They forgot who they were. Yet you did not give up on your people. Jesus Christ broke into our chaos died the death that we deserve to redeem us to you. Now, as your people, we are called to live lives for your glory. So increase us in holiness, we pray, so that we may live lives fixed to you, fixed to the God of redemption. Amen.